Welcome to Pod for Israel. This is Dr. Seth Postel. I'm here with Dr. Golan Broshi, and we're continuing our series on the case for Messiah, an Old Testament defense of the New Testament faith. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at Psalm 22, verse 16 in the English, or in the Hebrew, verse 17. And the big debate is whether the original says, they pierced my hands and my feet, or like a lion, my hands and my feet. Yeah, so in Hebrew, it's all pinned to one word. Just one, one word? word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you want me to read the Hebrew Masoretic text? The Hebrew says, Kisevavuni klavim, adat mereim hikifuni, ka'ari, that's the word, ka'ari, yadai v'raglai. Wait a minute, you've got pretty good Hebrew there, Golan, way to go. <laughs> I'm working on my Hebrew. So what does the so, English say? Okay, so the New American Standard, okay, the New American Standard translates the original, right? For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The version that Golan read, the Masoretic text, says, Dogs surround me, a pack of evil ones closes in on me. Now, the JPS is like lions, but actually it's just singular, like a lion, my hands and my feet. And so, what is the difference, actually, if we're going to be looking at the Hebrew, what is the difference between they pierced and like a lion. Yeah, so it changes the whole meaning of the verse. If it's a lion or pierced, and these are some of the objections we get uh, from my uh, for, for my brothers and sisters that the, the been in, in the rabbinic uh, in rabbinic Judaism. And apparently, the difference is actually the difference between a, a vav and a yud, right? Only, the, the, yeah, the, little, the, the tip of the of, of, of a yud. A couple of millimeters makes a big difference, right? <laughs> exactly. Just the vav in the end. Is it a vav or a yud? So maybe you're wondering why in the world uh, Golan and I would be talking about this verse. And actually, there are some videos on YouTube, and we've heard this, some of the claims of, of anti-missionaries that are trying to, in some ways, try to, sh- try to tell Christians that their, their version of the Bible, their Old Testament, has been corrupted, yes. right? And so uh, some of the claims about the anti-missionaries, particularly with this verse, they would claim, first of all, the Christians, claim one, the Christians corrupted the original Hebrew, which yes. says, like a lion, and they changed it to, they pierced after the time of Jesus and all in order to prove that Psalm 22 prophesied the crucifixion. And the anti-missionaries like to emphasize the Christian Bible versus the Jewish Bible, the Correct. Christian Bible. Correct. <laughs> the second claim is, is they would argue, right, that the word ka'ari... Everywhere in, else in the Bible. Everywhere else in the Bible, it means like a lion, but for some reason, Christians here choose to translate it differently. Differently, yeah. All right? Claim three, there are two other verses in Psalm 22 refer to lions. So if you're reading through Psalm 22, two other times lions are mentioned. So of course, naturally, this has to be like a lion. It just goes with the rest of the context. Claim claim four, right, which is the big claim. That's a big one. Right? I can prove to you that the Christians corrupted this verse. Why? Because the New Testament actually never quotes this verse. <laughs> and therefore, if that verse would have been in the, in the original reading, they would have used it for sure. Yep. Okay? Yep. Claim five. And yeah, the last claim. Psalm 22 is only about King David. Nowhere in the text is it inferred that it's about the Messiah. So it couldn't be a messianic prophecy because it talks only about king, the historical King David. Correct. And so... 
The reason that we're talking today is we feel it's very important to deal with these claims, right? To to respond to them, yeah. okay? Yeah, and we'll start with, with with the first claim. We'll go claim by claim and see if it holds water. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so claim number one, yeah. the Christians corrupted. Did the, the Christians the corrupt? The Christians corrupted the original text. Yeah. So they, you know, after the time of Jesus, uh, in the Greek, they changed it from like a lion to they pierced in order to prove that the, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Greek Old Testament, uh, prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus. Yep. So, so what do you think? So according, again, according to biblical scholars, Israelis, Jewish scholars, this case, that this claim doesn't hold water. There was no corruption in the Christian Bible. That's and we interesting. Have, yes, and we have a few, a few quotes of Israeli uh, scholars that are admitting you know what's a problem. A, so, so when I listened or watched these YouTube videos, I got the sense in which, you know, Christians, because they don't read Hebrew, biblical Hebrew or modern Hebrew, th- th- you know, they don't realize that, that there's, you know, that this is just a Christian issue. The Christians think that there's a problem with the text. But we, we actually found there's at least three Four Hebrew scholars and the problem, modern Israeli scholars. Exactly. And the problem with, with most of the anti-missionaries is that they don't read the, the they don't read the Hebrew scholarship. The modern Hebrew exactly. scholars. Okay. So Norit Reich, Meir Malul, David Flusser, Meir Kister, they all saw a problem with Psalm twenty two, verse seventeen. Because why? it lacks a verb. Like if a lion, my hands. Like and a my lion feet. what? What did the lion do? Exactly. It lacks a verb. You know what's really interesting? That even the, the JPS, which is the Jewish translation of this text, okay, notice how they translate it. Dogs surround me, a pack of evil ones closes in me, it closes in on me. It said it's emi- like lions, even though the original Hebrew says like a lion. They put an S in the end. They like, put an S like lions, they maul my hands and my feet. So they go after Rashi. Chafu, to, to mold, to dig. Yeah, they, they did something to my head, but they added the verb. Why did they add the verb? They had to. Why? Because, because the original Hebrew... Doesn't have it. it the, the Hebrew of the Masoretic text is missing that verb. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of if sense. If it's a lion, it's missing a verb. What's also really interesting is that if we look at the Old Greek translation, okay? The Old Greek translation, the, the word probably comes from the word kara. Mm-hmm. Kahu, right? which is not a normal word for pierced. It, it usually has to do with digging. Digging, yeah. Digging pits, digging mines, okay? So it's not your typical word for piercing. But at least it's a verb. It's a verb, exactly, exactly. Okay, textual evidence. Let's talk about the textual evidence. Did, did the Christians corrupt the text? Okay, let's it, talk about it. Yes, I don't believe they did. So yeah. some of the evidence, so for instance, we actually know that they found in Nachal Hever, Dead Sea Scrolls. Which is the, yeah, the Qumran. They found a text. I, I realize that it's a bit argued whether, you know, what does it read Karu or Ka'ari? Is it a verb? But but it wasn't corrupted by, by Christians. Correct. That's for sure. Correct. So we actually have ancient Hebrew support that it wasn't correct, corrupted. We also know that all the ancient versions... All the ancient versions other than the Masoretic text mm-hmm. and the Midrash al Kuchimoni. There's even a rabbinic Midrash that uses a verb, either witchcraft or digging, 
but uses the verb for this like a lion. It doesn't use a lion, it uses the verb. So you're saying that originally that uh, these Jewish versions, right? The Jewish ancient versions and the Jewish interpretations understood this word as a verb. They, they had did to, something to my hands and feet. They had to grammatically, they had to use it. They had, they knew that it must be a verb. Because the Masoretic text doesn't make sense as it exactly. reads. Exactly. Okay. The old Greek translation, okay, they dug out or they bore holes in my hands, in my feet, okay? So, we know therefore that the Hebrew text, that the translator, that translated this into Greek, he had a, a Hebrew that said either kahu or ka'ahu, yeah. okay? Yeah, digging, digging, making holes, piercing, something like that. So the yeah. bottom line, okay, based on the textual evidence. No corruption. Did, are you sure? The Christians, <laughs> the Christians didn't later on corrupt the Hebrew we text. We have no evidence that any Christian ever in the first century or, or before corrupted the text. No evidence whatsoever. So we actually have a pre-Christian debate. Exactly. As to whether this text read, they pierced. Or like a lion. Or they bound, yeah. or like a lion, exactly. my hands and my feet. Okay, so no textual corruption. Exactly. We're good. No corruption. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can go to claim number two. Okay. okay, so everywhere else, everywhere else. That's claim number two. Those that want to defend the Masoretic text, they say the Masoretic text that we have today is the original reading, like a lion, my hands and my feet. So they say, okay, that everywhere else ka'ari, means like a lion. Yeah, everywhere so, else in the Bible that the word kari, like a lion, the English translations and all the other translated as a lion. So okay. why here? Yeah. Okay, so he's saying that, you know, so they say that here they ignore that and they change they it. They change it because they wanted it to fit the messianic narrative. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Is this, is this, the Masoretic text, like a lion, is it Every other time, like a lion, ka'ari? So, so the thing is, every time in, in the Bible, and especially in the Torah, that ka'ari appears as a lion, there's a verb attached to it. A verb. Ka'ari as a lion, what? What did the lion do? What oh, did you do as a lion? Interesting. So you're, so, so you're saying that if that word ka'ari appears, and everywhere else it appears, like a lion, everywhere else. In the Bible? It always appears with a verb. Exactly. So for instance, Numbers 23, verse 24. Like a lion, it lifts itself up. Lifts, yeah, it lifts it itself. It has a verb. Yep. Numbers 24, 9. He couches, he lies down like a lion. Lies down. Exactly. Okay, Isaiah 38, verse 13. Like a lion, so he breaks all my yep. bones. Yep, and that makes sense grammatically. It, like a lion, got it. a verb. What did the lion do? Or what did somebody do like a lion? What did he do? A verb, which is missing in, in Psalm 22. So what's really interesting is that everywhere else the word ka'ari appears mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, it always appears with a verb. Exactly. Everywhere except? Except Psalm 22, verse 16. And what about, what about the hand and the legs? Okay, interesting, interesting. And so, again, the Masoretic text reads, like a lion, my hands and my feet, exactly. which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what about my hands and my feet? What did they do to my hands and my feet? So everywhere else in the Bible, when it appears, and it doesn't appear a lot connected, hands and my hands and my legs connected, but every time it appears, 
and especially in the Torah, it, it has a verb also. My hands and my feet, what? What so happens to my feet? So Exodus 30, verse 21, they shall wash their hands and their feet. Yeah, wash. And so it has a verb. verb. Exactly. Okay. Now, here's an interesting verse. Judges 16, Judges 1, verses 16 and 17, the English translation says this, he caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. But what does the Hebrew say there? Yadeihem veragleihem, hands and feet. And there's a verb before it. So whenever we see them doing something to their hands and their feet or my hands and my feet, there's a verb. Yep. And But in Psalm 22, 16, 16, there's no verb. There's no verb. If, if we read it, if we take the Masoretic text, read as a lion. So you're saying that the Masoretic text, there's there's something wrong here. With a lion and with the hands and feet. Both in the Bible, every every other time in the Bible has a verb. Only in this case. Thank you, Golan. This is very helpful. Okay, well, no. let's talk about claim three. Yeah, what was claim three? Okay, so here's the claim. that they. So I've heard it said, okay, so if you look in the context, there's all sorts of animals inside. He's complaining about animals. Yes. He's complaining about bulls. He's complaining about dogs. He's complaining about lions. And in two other verses, there's a complaint or a reference to lions. And so, of course, the Masoretic text has like a lion, and that makes yeah, sense naturally. in the context. Yeah. And so, because two other verses in Psalm 22 refer to lions, the original reading of Psalm 22, verse 16 English, verse 17 yes. Hebrew, has to be like a lion. Yeah, but that actually helped us. This argument actually drills the point that it couldn't be a lion because of the textual evidence. Okay, here's what's interesting. So in Israeli circles, which I really love, we, you and I have talked a lot about this whole approach to the Hebrew Bible called the close reading or the yep. literary reading. Mm -hmm. And there was a very, very famous scholar named Meir Weiss. And he, he showed that in Lament Psalms, he looked at Psalm mm -hmm. 13, and he showed that in, in Lament Psalms, the, the, per, the, the psalmist usually complains, complains to God, you know, there's, this is bothering me and that is bothering me there's and this complaints? is bothering me. But with every complaint, there's always, with a specific complaint, there's always a specific request. request. So that in the parallelism of the psalm, of a lament psalm, you have complaints and then specific complaints and then specific requests that deal with those complaints. Now, here's what's interesting. So this is about the structure, the, the, the structure, structure of the text. In other words, if we want to figure out what's the best reading here, let's go to the structure of the text. Exactly. Right? Let's let's look at the original Hebrew. Normally, the argument is Christians don't know the <laughs> Hebrew, and and they're brainwashed. Is that well, true? Praise the Lord. We know we know Hebrew. So okay, yeah. <laughs> your Hebrew's good, better than mine, right? So let's look at the complaints in this passage, and then let's look at the crest, requests. So for instance, in Psalm 22, verses one and 11, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning, for there is none to help. So if he's gonna complain, there's none to help, Yep. right? And, the, and, and so, they're far, so the request- The parallel request would, would be- Would be what? Hmm. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. That's verse 19. Verse 19, so here we go. You have the, 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 complaint, the complaint, God, you're far, nobody to help. So of course you're gonna request, be not far, come to my assistance, exactly. come to help me. Verses 12 through 13, many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. 
They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening as a ravening and a roaring lion. And so in verses 12 and 13, he complains about and, bulls and lions. And that's important because that's where we started to see the animals. Right? Okay, so look at this. Psalm 22, verse 21, save me exactly. from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Parallel. So you have, you have a complaint about a bull, you have a request with the bulls. You've got a complaint about a lion. You've got a request about the lion. Exactly. In other words, it parallels. Now let's look at verse 16, okay? For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Again, the New American Standard, they pierced my hands and my feet, or, or the Masoretic text, dogs surround me, a pack of evil ones closes in on me like a lion, my hands and my feet. So now the parallel would determine What's the, what's, what, this is important because the parallel would determine what's the best reading. Uh, because we, we would have to look in the parallel for dogs and lions or only dogs. Okay, we'll see let's see, let's see. So I'm, let's I'm see. excited, Golan. Let's tension see what's in the air. Okay, so verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. The dogs, what's missing? Where's the lions? There's no lions. But there's a sword. And by the way, Verse 20 and verse 16 are the only verses in Psalm 22 that refer to dogs, which mm -hmm. means they have to be parallel to verses. Be parallel. Yeah. And so here we actually see the request has no lion, which means the original reading of verse 16 has no lion. And not only that, it doesn't have a lion, it has a sword. So what's the parallel for a sword? You need a verb that has exactly. to deal with piercing. Exactly. Hey, Golan, you're <laughs> making me feel better already. I love it. Okay. Interestingly enough, if you look at also the structure and the, all the, there's a lot of animals in this verse. And so you've got bulls, lions, dogs, dogs, lions, yeah. oxen. And, and that's what one of the Israeli scholars is saying. I don't know how you say it in English, but a chiastic a uh, structure. A chiastic structure. Exactly. So we found, I thought this was really interesting, an Israeli scholar Meir Malul. Yeah, Dr. Meir Malul. So he wrote a, a commentary on Psalms in modern Hebrew, and here's the quote. This is, this is not a Christian scholar who's saying that the Christians corrupted the text. This is an Israeli Hebrew scholar. In a peer-reviewed encyclopedia. So it's a, it's a peer-reviewed. So if he, if he made a mistake, nobody would publish it. This is a peer-reviewed lexicon. So le yeah. listen to what he says. The person praying starts with bulls and mighty ones, verse 13, continues with lions, verse 14, and closes with dogs, verse 17. In the final verses, 20 through 22, the person praying starts with a dog, verse 21, continues with a lion, verse 22, and closes with wild oxen, verse 22. The reference to the lion in verse 17 is perplexing, mukshe. Exactly. It's From hard. the standpoint of the proposed chiastic structure. So even he admits that the lion shouldn't be there. It doesn't fit. Which is interesting. So not only, not only is there a problem of a missing verb in the Masoretic text, right? Like a lion, mm -hmm. what? There's a problem there, but also there's a problem with the animals. Exactly. Right? There fit. is no lion in the request, mm. the parallel request. So it doesn't fit the chiastic structure of the psalm. Absolutely. So and let's, he, ad he admits it. So let's go on to the next claim. Golan, this is, this is the argument that, you know, they say that the New Testament never quotes this verse. And so 
it proves it proves that the Christians corrupted the text. Yeah. They say if it was so obvious, if, if, if it was such a messianic obvious prophecy, how come the New Testament doesn't, it doesn't refer to it? Even, That's the claim. Which is interesting because already, even though we saw that there's no evidence of textual corruption, but let's, let's address this claim, okay? Now, you were, we were talking about this, that in the original Hebrew Bible, were there chapters and verses? Nope, no chapters, no verses. If you go to a synagogue and open the scroll, you just see letters, and sometimes there's even not a, not a gap between the words. So, I, I want to <laughs> ask you something. So, if you wanted to refer to Psalm 22 back in Jesus' day, I would without do, a chapter, how would you do it? I would do what the rabbis do in the Midrash and in the, in the Talmud. I would quote a verse or half a verse to let the people go to that, to that chapter, to that section. You know, it reminds me of a story years ago. I was in Eilat and I met, a, I met an Israeli guy that uh, it was interesting. He told me, he said, my dad, when I was young, he wanted me to be a rabbi and he locked me. He said this. From an ultra-Orthodox yeah, yeah. family. He said, he locked me in my room for two years. I didn't believe that, right? But then he said to me, he said, and he made me memorize the book of Psalms. I said, get out of here. Memorize it. He said, no, no, read any begin a beginning of any Psalm and I will I finish would. it for you. And so sure enough, I'd start the Psalm with the, with the superscription and he would finish it for me. So in other words, you're saying if the New Testament wanted us to go to Psalm 22, they would just have to quote a, a verse that starts the headline, the headline of this so-called chapters. Of course, we didn't have chapters. So when Yeshua says from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama azavtani, why did you uh, forsake sounds me? really familiar. Why do you think he said that? What, what, you know, what was he doing by saying that psalm? Remember, they couldn't say, uh, said, please go to, uh, to Psalm 22, verse no, no, no numbers, no verses. So this is how he said, go to that Psalm, go to 22. And you know what's really interesting? If we look now at Matthew 27, by the way, Matthew's account of the crucifixion is filled with allusions mm. to Psalm 22. But in verse 35, it says this, and when they had crucified him, what do you do when you crucify somebody? You pierce their hands and their feet. They divided up his garments which is exactly also from Psalm 22. Exactly. Here's a couple of clear allusions to Psalm 22. They divided up his garments among them by casting lots. About the ninth hour, Jesus mm -hmm. cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama savachtani. Wait, why did right? you forsake me? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here we actually have a, a New Testament reference to Psalm 22 with a very strong allusion exactly. to verse 16. A bold reference to the, you can say the headline of the, of the psalm. Go to that psalm. Now, again, we looked at this, this Israeli scholar that's a psalm scholar. What did he actually say about this verse? So that's, that's actually amazing because he says, of course, there's a problem if it's a lion, that it doesn't make any sense. But he argues the better reading is with pierced, ka'aru, to pierced, and he alludes to John 11:44 or John 19:37, where we see tied, how do you say, to tie somebody uh -huh, with, the, the, to with bind Lazarus, your hands to and bind feet. like Lazarus, or to pierce what John says, we shall look at him who was pierced from Zechariah. Yeah. So, so, so this Israeli scholar is saying the better reading of Psalm 22:17 or 16 would be pierced in John 
quotes it or give the allusion. So he's actually saying that the New Testament probably represents the better reading. Exactly. Wait a minute, exactly. but and this that's an Israeli this an Israeli scholar who doesn't believe who is not he, he's probably is either religious or secular Jew. So are you saying then that Christians that don't know Hebrew are not not brainwashed, exactly. right? Are you you're telling me that that it's still that they're not they've not corrupted the text. Of course, and the, 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 those Israeli scholars are not brainwashed as well. <laughs> they're not messianic Jews. They're not trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. No. They're just simply trying to go with the evidence. Exactly, and they want to know what's the best meaning of the text. Amazing. Yeah. Claim five. And that's the, the final claim. Claim five. Psalm twenty-two is just about David. Yeah, and this is this is one of the most common claims that we see all all through the Bible that they just the pshat you know this is just the historical event and nothing more this is only about David and no prophecy whatsoever now we should at some point do an episode on the literary structure of the whole book of Psalms and why why it's probably messianic but let's look right now for just at Psalm 22 mm -hmm. is this just about David once again, we look at the literary structure of the psalm. Yep. What do you notice about the and literary structure of Psalm 22? There's, it, it's almost as if it divided to two sections. There's, there's lament, there's cry, there's suffering, but it doesn't end there. How does it end? With praise. And not only praise, the nations, the goyim. <laughs> the goyim. <laughs> the nations are praising God. Why? What so, happened? So here's what's amazing about this chapter. Psalm 22 is divided into two halves. The first half is a lament, and it's yeah. a terrible lament about horrific sufferings. But then suddenly there's this dramatic and inexplicable transition to praise, but not just any praise from this terrible suffering of one individual who's being who's being mauled and beaten and, and, and pierced and pierced and mocked the psalm ends with all the nations praising the lord let me read verses 27 through 28 mm -hmm. all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. We have to come up with some kind of an yes. explanation. B because David David did suffer, but when did we when did we ever see David in the Bible brings salvation and praise to the whole nation? We don't see the latter part. We don't see the second part. You know, the language here suggests a fulfillment of sorts of the Abrahamic God's promise to Abraham that God would bless all the nations of the earth. And so somehow we have to reconcile, if we're going to explain the meaning of this psalm, exactly. we have to reconcile the horrific sufferings and the lament of this individual to the universal praise that all nations, as a result of the suffering of this individual, are praising the Lord. Yes. Does that sound like David to you? The, the suffering of David didn't bring the salvation or the glory of God to the ends of the world. We, we, we don't have any, uh, any verses in the Bible that says that. Can you think of any other person, any other Jewish person who suffered so terribly, whose garments were divided, whose hands and and feet were pierced, right? Who was taunted and mocked. Can you think of well, any other Jewish person that suffered so terribly and as a result, all the nations yeah. are praising the Lord? There was this ancient <laughs> rabbi. What right? was his name? <laughs> Yeshua in Hebrew. So I wanna show you something really interesting as we, we soon, get, we're gonna conclude here. But if you look at the, the dramatic shift from lament to praise in Psalm 22, mm -hmm. it says this, I will tell of your name to my 
brethren, brethren. in the midst of the assembly, I will praise, praise you. you. I find that really amazing that when Yeshua met with Mary after his resurrection, notice what he says in Matthew 28, verse 10. And that's a unique, unique call, right? A unique reference, brethren. Yeah, right? so he says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and take, my, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. The fact that Jesus- It's not common, right? He says, my brethren, we're, given the fact that so much of the crucifixion in Matthew is described in light of Psalm 22, this is an illusion. Jesus is saying, listen, exactly. the suffering is over. Let the praises begin. And by using the word, my brethren, Jesus is saying, I fulfilled the first half. Exactly. I've, now fulfilled, I'm, I've now fulfilled the Amen. second half. Amen. Then it gets better. It gets better. Again, let's go back to Psalm 22, verses 20, uh, 27 through 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Wow, that sounds an awful lot like the Great Commission. Like the ending of, of Matthew. Matthew. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Amen. baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So it's not David, but it's the son of David. <laughs> the son of, the son of David, amen, <laughs> amen. So let's sum things up here, okay? Just to sum things up. So if we could kind of tie, tie yeah. things together, are the claims of the anti-missionaries true about Psalm 22 and that, that, that we corrupted so the So the text? first claim, yeah, the first claim was about corruption. We saw that there was no corruption whatsoever, no evidence, and even Israeli scholars are debating what's the true meaning, and they're admitting that a lion is causing a lot of problems because we need a verb and we need something to be, uh, something to compare with piercing, with the, with, with the sword. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Another claim that the literary structure, right? So, so we're saying that the literary structure proves that it cannot be like a lion. Exactly, because because of the power, because of this, what the scholars call the chiastic stru structure. We, we we have a dog, and then dogs, and we have we, we don't have a lion. We have a sword, and we have pierced. Amen. And so the literary structure also supports the original reading pierced. Yes. Yeah, so what about the claim that the New Testament never never quotes Psalm 22. And we saw that the New Testament absolutely refers to this chapter and quite clearly alludes to Psalm 22, 16. And that's exactly what some Israeli scholars are saying as well. And the final claim, could Psalm 22 talk just about David? Could it talk just about the historical figure of King David? Listen, I've been all over the world and there are, you know, you meet Gentiles from the far, reaches of the world and they know about Jesus. They know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do they know about him? Because of the sufferings and the resurrection of one Jewish you man. You know what you remind me of? A, a dear brother that we both know went to India to, to, to visit believers. And he came to, a, you know, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere to an Indian village. And this Indian guy comes to him and hugs him and he said, you're the second Jew that I meet. You're the second Jew. He said, who's the first one? Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Oh, this is so encouraging. Golan, thank you so much. I, thank you. I, we just want to encourage you again. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've gotten nervous about your, your translation of the Bible and you think that, you know, you've heard that, you're, you're, that the text has been corrupted, well, we just want to encourage you that 
it has not been corrupted and that Psalm 22 is an amazing passage that we believe is fulfilled through Jesus and the New Testament. And if you're seeking and searching and you don't believe in Jesus yet, we want to encourage you that there are really good reasons from the Hebrew Bible, from the original mm. Hebrew, to believe that Jesus is the yeah. Messiah. What did, what did Yeshua say? Search the scriptures, for they talk about me, right? Amen, amen. So can we pray for our listeners? Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time that we can study your word. And I pray, Lord, that, that as believers watch this podcast, and go back to Psalm 22, they'd be encouraged. And if there's somebody here that has yet to accept Jesus and they're wrestling through the textual evidence, I also pray for this person as well, that he or she would also realize that there's really good reasons to see this Psalm as a reference to the sufferings of the Messiah and his resurrection. In Yeshua's blessed name, amen. Amen. Thank you. If this touched your heart, Will you help pay it forward to reach others who need to hear this message? Partner with our team to bring the gospel to Israel and the nations.